Your soul is at war with lies. And you have no choice but to fight. Lies have shaped us, told us who we thought we were, held us captive. Lies from outside us, lies from within us. Truth is reality. And when we live at odds with reality, we cannot thrive. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth can be known. The truth will set you free. It's time to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies. To liberate them with the weapon of truth. It is time to fight back in the quietness of our hearts. To stand in the truth. To live no lies. Do you ever feel pressure to fit in in this world? Let's watch this. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with the white shirt, the lady with the trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat... to maintain his individuality but little by little he looks at his watch but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall now we'll try it once again here's the candid subject here comes the candid camera staff three of them at least and uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. <laughs> now, here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First, he makes a full turn to the rear, and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... Now we'll see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment... On Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. <laughs> isn't it a little bit painful to watch that? But isn't that a little bit what life is like. We have this pressure to want to fit in. We want to belong. Every one of us wants to sit at the cool kid table in life. We want to go with the flow. The reason I shared that is because I think that is a picture 
of what we're gonna talk about today, which is the third enemy of our soul, which is what the Bible calls the world. Now in this series, we've been talking about how we've got an enemy, the devil, and his primary strategy is lies. He tries to create deception so that we don't have a clear picture of who God is, who we are, or what really matters in this life. We have an enemy on the outside, but we also talked a couple weeks ago, last two weeks, about this enemy that we have on the inside, our flesh, these distorted desires, these desires that if we don't bring them under the control of God's Holy Spirit, they take us in a direction that we don't want to go and we start living lies. Well, here's the reality. When the enemy is telling lies, when our flesh is talking about disordered desires and we live in a culture or a world that starts to normalize those lies and those distorted desires, it becomes what the Bible calls the world. And what Jesus is gonna tell us is that we've gotta figure out how do we resist the world around us? How do we not live our lives of faith in a way that we're slowly just turning around in the elevator until suddenly we're going in the exact same direction as the culture around us? We're gonna look at a text that comes from John 17. What I love about this is this text is a prayer that Jesus prays for those that were his closest disciples right then and there, but he also prays for us. By extension, all those who were gonna believe in him through their message. So as, I, so as I read this to you, you need to understand this is the prayer of Jesus for you. This is his heart for you. John chapter 17, starting in verse 15. My prayer is not that you, that's the Father, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. To make sure that we're talking about biblical terms and biblical ways, the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, what is the world? When Jesus is using this term, world, what is it that he's talking about? What's translated there is a, a simple Greek word, cosmos. And Jesus uses that in multiple different ways. There's a range of meaning, and it's critical that we understand how he's using it in different ways in different places so that we understand what it is that he's trying to communicate to us. Sometimes when he talks about the world, he's just simply talking about the universe, the created world, oftentimes talking specifically about planet Earth. Sometimes when Jesus uses the term world, he's talking about all of humanity, all the people of the world. When we think about that famous verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. But when Jesus uses that term world, he's talking about people. He's not talking about an enemy of his or of ours. He's saying this is the, there are the object of his love and his compassion. But in this case, Jesus is talking about an enemy of our soul, the world. I love the definition that Gary Brashears gives. He was my mentor and professor in seminary. He said this, the world is Satan's domain. And by domain, he's talking about a kingdom where his authority and values reign. Though his deception makes it hard to realize. If you are of the world, then it all seems right. 
That definition is just telling us it's easy to go with the flow. It's just easy to do what everybody is doing around us. But if we do that, what Jesus wants us to understand is that we will believe lies. We've been using this all throughout this series. It's our beliefs that start everything. Our beliefs, our mental map, what we believe to be true about reality, shape our behaviors. And our behaviors ultimately shape who it is that we're becoming as an individual. Are we believing the lies of the world around us? Are we believing the truth of Jesus? And here's the thing that we need to understand. What Jesus wants us to understand is that beliefs and behaviors tend to spread throughout a culture. I mean, this is a, kind of a silly example, but just think about how this simple behavior can spread. If I were to stand up here and yawn, oftentimes it would cause many of you to yawn. Now, nobody's gonna yawn today, right? Because it really hurts my feelings when you're out there yawning and turning around and looking at the clock. I see you. I know that you're always trying to watch up there. Like, come on, pastor, let's get this done. Yawning is a way that just behaviors spread throughout a culture. An easy translation of that would be, my parents used to always say, monkey see, monkey do. We tend to follow what happens in and around us. Now, yawning is not a big deal at all. But what if the things that we're starting to believe, what about the things, the behaviors that we're starting to internalize in our life are taking us to a mental map that doesn't correspond to the mental map that God has for us in terms of what is true about life and what will lead to our flourishing. The world around us is not always telling us the things that are true. I love how Renee DiResta said it. She's a writer and an educator about postmodern ethics and morals. I love this phrase. If you make it trend, you make it true. If you make it trend, you make it true. That's why that elevator is so true to life. If there's everybody doing something, it makes it so easy to believe like this is what's normal. And Jesus is trying to tell us over and over, we do not follow the pattern of this world. We do not chase after it because it can lead us in the wrong direction. If we can look at anything in human history, we can say that crowds are not always right. Sometimes they, in mass, can believe things that are not true. Let's just think about a couple simple things in the history of our nation. Let's just think about the reality that at the beginning of our nation, the common mindset was that slavery is okay. I mean, we look back now and we think, no way. We would never do that. We would never allow that. Think about the reality that it was only 100 years ago in our country that women got the right to vote. I mean, we're, we're at a place in our country where we're, we probably have progress to make, but we value the voice and the contribution of women. But 100 years ago, they couldn't even vote. So we can look back at that and what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. We can look back at these things that used to happen, things that people used to believe, and we can just say, that would never happen to us. Don't be so sure. The question that we have to ask is, what are the things that we are believing today that years from now, our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are gonna look back and say, I can't believe that they ever thought that that was true. I wanna press into an area that may be a challenging topic to address at church, but I wanna talk a little bit about sex and sexuality. 
and where the world is moving as it relates to sex and sexuality. I read this article recently, and it really grabbed my attention. One, it grabbed my attention because it was not written by someone who was a follower of Jesus, and there was no time in the the writing in or around this that her life was changed, and she became a follower of Jesus, but she was looking at what the world had taught her about sex and sexuality and living through the pain and the destruction and the regret of that, and here's what she had to say. I was told lies. I want to just share with you a piece of that article. And I've edited some of the language around this to make it okay for church. You might not think it's okay, but I've I've done a good job. She said, if I get really honest with myself, I'd say most of the usually drunken encounters left me feeling empty and demoralized and worthless. I wouldn't have said that at the time, though. At the time, I would have told you that I was liberated even while I tried to drink away the sick feeling of rejection when my most recent hookup didn't call me back. At the time, I would have said one night stands made me feel emboldened. But in reality, I was using sex like a drug, trying unsuccessfully to fill a hole inside of me with men. I know regretting most of my sexual encounters is not something a sex-positive feminist who used to write a column for Playboy is supposed to admit. And for years, I didn't. Let me be clear. Being promiscuous and sleeping with a lot of men is not the only behavior I regret. But even more damaging was what I told myself in order to justify the fact that I am disposable to these men. I told myself I didn't care. I didn't care when a man ghosted me. I didn't care when he left in the middle of the night or hinted that he wanted me to leave the walks of shame, the blackouts, the anxiety. The lie I told myself for decades was, I'm not in pain, I'm empowered. Looking back, it isn't a surprise that I lied to myself because from a young age, sex was something I was lied to about. The culture was right there to pick me up and dust me off. And I doubled down on being a promiscuous person that internalized the biggest and most damaging lie that loveless sex is empowering. I basked in the girl power glow of that delusion for decades, weaponizing my sexuality while convincing myself I was full of the divine feminine. I was full of crap. I told myself that because I could seduce men, I was powerful. But as Perry says in her book, women can, do, women can all too easily fail to recognize that being desired is not the same as being held in high esteem. Deep down inside, I knew that not to be the case. But as a defense mechanism, I crafted a man-eater persona. Another set of lies built on lies, built on trauma. But a lot of women will read this and bristle just like I did, when I used to read something that pushed back on the lie I'd built my entire identity around. The reason I share that is because I just think she, from not even a Christian perspective, is making the case where our culture is at in the sexual revolution and the outflow of that. It is a lie and it leads to destruction and it leads to regret. But here's the thing, we can look at that and just say, 
Yes, absolutely, she believed a lie. But here's the question that we've got to ask. What are the lies that we are believing? Because we can be so easily assimilated into the culture around us. Because crowds, oftentimes, we think are right. The world is right. Jesus is telling us over and over, you can be assimilated, but you've got to figure out, how do I resist? Is my life being shaped primarily by the world around me? Or is my life being shaped by Jesus? Am I all in with Jesus or am I all in with the world? We've got to ask ourselves the question. And the question is this, are we of this world? And I think you need to personalize that question. Don't just, don't just say we because we is random and out there. Say I, am I of this world? And Jesus is gonna tell us very emphatically, if you wanna be all in with me, you cannot be all in with this world. Verse 16 again, they are not of this world, meaning followers of Jesus, even as I am not of it. And then Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now the word sanctify, it's kind of a church word, Bible word. What does the word sanctify mean? It simply means to be set apart, to be set apart for holiness, to be different, to be unique. But here's the thing, it is not meaning that we're obnoxious. It doesn't mean that we're irritating to people around us. But our lives would be very different as people look into who we are. When we are set apart for Jesus, we are very different. But we've got to be warned. We can very easily conform to the world around us. And that's why the Apostle Paul gives this warning and this command in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Throughout this series, we've talked about the reality of, of a mental map. And what the world wants to do is it wants to skew our mental map. And if we aren't careful, we can conform to this world where our mind conforms to that which the world says is true versus what I went to school for electrical engineering. <laughs> this is really embarrassing. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. But Paul tells us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what we've been talking about because our beliefs determine our behavior, which determines who we become, but it starts in the mind. Are we believing things that aren't true? Because we're transformed from the inside out when we start to believe and respond. That's why what you think about matters and why a few weeks ago, I just kept saying over and over, you gotta think about what are you thinking about? Take every thought captive, everything that the world is trying to push onto your life You've got to evaluate, is this of Jesus or is this of the world? 
every one of us, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to ask that question. How am I being assimilated to the culture around me? How am I in any way just subtly losing my identity as a follower of Jesus, losing my identity as a son or a daughter of the Father? How am I losing who it is that God has made me to be? Here's what I've watched and observed. Most of the time, it's not like I have this all-in following of Jesus in my life and then suddenly I just fall off the cliff and I don't believe in God anymore. But it's just this subtle grabbing a hold of the things of this world, what sometimes we call syncretism, where we start to pull the ideas of the world in. And because we still want to follow Jesus in some way, we try to integrate those into how we follow Jesus. But Jesus says, no, don't try to integrate the things of the world into how you follow me. You've got to learn to resist the world around you. What are examples of that? You could probably name a hundred of them. But when I look at the church in the West, in America in particular, I see that there are ways that we try to inject ideas that I don't believe are from Jesus. One would be this environment of consumerism and greed that I see in and around our culture that can invade the church, where God does bless. He has blessed this country. He has blessed individuals. But when we read the New Testament, that is always for the sake of taking that and giving it away. It's not about how can I collect more and more and more, but how can I use what God has done for the sake of others, especially the poor and marginalized. That was so on the heart of Jesus. And we're going to be accountable when we stand before him one day. How did we handle the incredible resource that God has entrusted to us? I've mentioned it earlier, but just the sexual, secular sex ethic. There's just no boundaries around that. Whatever desire you have, just live it out. Live it out. Be proud of it. There's no way that we're creating a box around what God wants for our sexual ethics. This radical individualism that we see in our culture. I can do this. I can do this on my own. And you see that invading the church where we don't oftentimes see this or experience it as a family or as a community. It's like, I can do this on my own, like a DIY faith. But the New Testament, there's nothing about that in the New Testament. It is always about community and sacrificing for the sake of others, knowing and being known, loving and being loved. That's what's gonna change the world. And we've bought in to a lie. The prosperity gospel. There are pastors that stand on stages all the time and just say, God's role in your life is to make sure that you're wealthy and you're healthy. And if that's not happening in your life, you're doing something wrong. You don't have enough faith. Well, when I read my New Testament, there are bad things that are happening to really good people, including Jesus. There is suffering and pain in this life, and we've got to navigate that. It's a lie to say that all God wants for you is for you to be healthy and wealthy. But these things start to integrate our thinking, and they start to shape how we live out our faith. And if we're not careful, we start to look as much like the world as the world does itself. If you want to fit in, if you want to be cool in this life, if you want to fit in, you can't be all in with Jesus. You can't slowly try to turn your life around and look the same way that everybody else is looking in the elevator and still be an all-in follower of Jesus. And we've got to learn, church, 
I have to learn, you need to learn to recognize where is it that we're grabbing a hold of ideas and behaviors that don't belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but they belong to this world. Because if we can't recognize them in ourselves and others, we will never, ever be able to resist them. Where are you being assimilated? Where are you grabbing a hold of the thought processes and the behaviors of this world and missing all that God has for you? Where are you being assimilated? But here's what I love. When Jesus talks about us resisting the world, it is never about retreat. It is never about get your life as far away from the world as you possibly can. It is about being sent to the world. It is not about retreat. It is about being sent because Jesus called us to change the world. And so here's the question that we need to ask. Am I sent to the world? Am I living a life of being sent to the world? Let me just remind you what Jesus said that I read earlier. When he was talking to the father, he says, as you sent me, God, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them in to the world. Jesus sent us to the world because he wants us to change the world. How? How are we gonna step into this world and change the world around us? What is that gonna take? Jesus was really clear because he continues to pray. And this is what I hope you catch from this. This is why we're here. This is why this matters. Why church matters, why being a family of God matters because Jesus says it's the only thing that's gonna change the world. Let's continue in Jesus' prayer, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Isn't that something? Jesus is praying for us. Anyone here who has believed in him through the message of disciples who made disciples who made disciples, he's praying for you. Here's what he's praying for you. I pray for all of those that will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they, may, may they also be in us so that, meaning this is the result, so that, what's gonna be the result of us being one? The world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. One, what's the result? Jesus makes it clear again, then. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What we're doing around here and our desire to connect our lives together get rid of radical individualism and be a community of people that are with each other and for each other and living out the values of the kingdom. It's more than just for us. Jesus is saying the world out there will be changed when we do that and we do it well. Are we one? That's what we've got to ask ourselves. That picture of oneness is to be sent into the culture, to be a counterculture to the things that the world believes. And when they see it lived out in our lives, that's when their lives are gonna change. You might be asking yourself, well, what does that look like? 
Well, I can tell you, this is what it looked like in the early church. This is a picture of oneness that we get from the very beginning of the book of Acts when the church was launched. Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They simply, they were in the word. They were with each other. They were praying together. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God was at work among them. Verse 44, listen to this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And this verse just blows me away. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There was such a sense of togetherness, such a sense of unity that the the boundaries of personal property were diminished. What I have is yours. Can you imagine how that would feel to be loved like that and valued like that and cared for like that? This is not what the world does, by the way. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and listen to this, and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's an interesting phrase to me because if you know anything about church history, if you know anything about the advance of the church, it wasn't like everybody loved what was going on with them. They were incredibly persecuted. They were stoned, they were killed, they were burned alive for their faith. But the people that were close, the people that were in and around them, that saw how they were living their life in a pagan culture, it was transformative to them, it was magnetic to them. And here was the result. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was magnetic. It was magnetic. It drew people in. But it didn't draw people in in a way that it was like, okay, us four and no more. It was expansive. It moved throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. If you know anything about church history, 300 years after what I just read to you, Christianity, in the midst of incredible persecution, they had no money, they had no political influence, they had no power, and they had no way to get it. But what they had was a calling from their King Jesus that said, live this way. Live the way that you saw me live. And so they did that. They embraced his ethic of caring for the poor and marginalized. To think about how we do sex and sexuality and family in the context of a culture. They were different from the world around them and it changed the culture. The beginning of the 300s, Constantine declared that Christianity is the official religion of the Roman Empire because little by little they gained ground because they lived lives that were different. And those different lives, I said it earlier, is the second question. Not only are we unified, we've got to be sanctified, set apart, different. Different how? I think we need to be different in the way we think about how we spend our money and how we spend our time. It's not to be used on ourselves. It's to be turned outward for the sake of others. That's what Jesus did. We've got to think about how do we steward power in this world? Because Jesus said, the greatest will be the least. When it comes to power, Jesus says, give it away. Serve people. That is not how the world works around us. How do we talk? How do we engage with 
the broken world around us? How do we engage on social media? Let me give you a hint. It would be something like this. I would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And let me come back to the one topic I talked on earlier, sex and sexuality. What does it look like for us to live out marriage and family and sex and dating in our culture? There used to be a word that we use called chastity, protecting that in and around what Jesus said would be the thing to do because it would lead to human flourishing. Are we willing to do that? So the culture would see and know this is what brings life to people. If you want to be all in with Jesus, we can't try to fit in. And let me just say this about Jesus' sex ethic. It was as unpopular then as it was now in the world around them. You can't even imagine the Roman Empire and how they engaged in promiscuity. It was practically an art form for them. It wasn't like those were traditional values, but Jesus spoke into that and said, this is what leads to human flourishing, that we would do sex in the context of marriage between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship that lasts forever. I understand that if you stand out in our world and talk about that, people look like your head just spun around. They can't hardly believe that anybody would think that. If you want to fit in, you can't be all in with Jesus. But this young group of people, this fledgling movement changed the world because they took Jesus at his word and they lived out the values of his kingdom. Now I imagine there are people out there that are just thinking, Bob, you've just been in church too long. You're not out there in the world. You don't know how difficult it is, how far we've gone. Oh yes, I do. I know, I know what it was like to have lived through that myself. But I believe there's an opportunity that the church has. One of my, one of my favorite movies of all time, and probably because I'm an engineer, an electrical engineer that can't keep his power source on, but I love the movie Apollo 13. And I think I love it because it's like the engineer's Rocky film. You know, it's like the guys with no arms and big glasses and pen protectors. They're like the, they're like the heroes of the show. It's like the engineer's Rocky film, you know? But there was a scene in that movie that's always been one of my favorites. Is there were a couple of engineers that were looking at everything that was going wrong with Apollo 13. They lost the moon landing, but they were just doing everything they could to try to get those astronauts home. There was one scene where one engineer turns to another engineer and he says, this is gonna be the worst disaster in NASA's history. But right behind them was Gene Krantz in Mission Control the flight commander of that mission. And he looked at them, and I love this line. He said, with all due respect, I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Friends, it's dark out there in the world. The things that are pushing against the values of the kingdom of God. There's a lot of them, and it's very, very dark. But the church has seen this before. And I believe that's why Jesus planted this movement in the middle of the Roman Empire to say when we live out the values of his kingdom, little by little, together, unified, sanctified, living differently, it makes a difference in the culture.
This is not going to be the worst disaster in the church's history. This has the opportunity to be our greatest hour. Because the church did it before. The church didn't lose her identity. She found it. The church didn't fall asleep. The church came awake. And we just got to ask ourselves, are we willing to do that as well? Are we willing to join together, to be a remnant of people that say, I'm going to live unified with the family of God. I'm going to live sanctified. I'm going to live set apart and different for the sake of God and for the sake of his glory. Here's your assignment. I want you to ask the question. Take some time to reflect this week. How have I aligned my life with the world, the culture around me? How have I aligned my life? How is it that my life is starting to grab the beliefs and the behaviors of this world rather than the beliefs and the behaviors that God is inviting me to? Let me give you a hint where those things are. As you read your scriptures, if there's things that you read and you're just be like, I don't like that. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't want that. Ask yourself, is that a place where my thinking has moved to the thinking of the world? Now, now I, I just, I'm, I'm gonna just say this. You can, you can disagree with anything that I've said today. Uh, you, can, you can disdain me, but do not disdain Jesus. Give him an opportunity to speak into your life. He loved you enough to hang on a cross out of love for you. He's earned the right to be heard, I believe. Allow him to speak into your life. Where is it that I've started to align my life away from him and toward the things of this world? Secondly, ask yourself, am I unified? Am I connected, heart, life, soul, with the body of Christ? We're bearing one another's burdens, speaking truth into one another's lives. Is that true of my life? And it's not, find that. That's why we do journey communities around here. We want to create spaces and places for people to live out that Acts 2 picture. Look at that picture. Reflect on it. And if you're in a journey community, ask yourself, what do we need to do in the leadership of my journey community and the, the one that I'm a part of to become more like this? How do we go deeper with one another? Then I want to ask you, where do I need to be sanctified? Where do I need to be different? Where have I grabbed a hold of the things of this world? Where do I need to change if my life's going to be different? If you want to fit in, you're not going to be all in with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm, I'm just so grateful for the clarity that you bring in your word. It's not complex, but it's really, really challenging. Jesus, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would take this little church called Journey, and this little town and this little state called Montana and you would bring her to life that we would be the kind of church that you prayed for we'd be kind of the kind of people that you prayed for that we would be one with each other Jesus the way that you and the father are one and that we would allow our life to be sanctified changed set apart not for our glory God but for your glory and for the sake of those that will hear and understand the reality of your truth based on how your people live their lives. Jesus, we need you. Change our church. Change me. Start with me. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.
And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.